As we approach uh, Easter Sunday, today our thoughts are focused on what is referred to as Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, we remember the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey uh, exactly one week before his resurrection. Um, as was in the video, let me just remind you again that some 450 to 500 years before that day when Jesus came in on the back of that donkey, the Old Testament prophet Zechariah gave us the details of what was going to happen. He says in Zechariah 9, 9, Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So beautifully prophesied in the Old Testament, so clearly fulfilled in the New Testament. We could go much deeper there. This has to do with the end times. It has to do with Daniel's uh, 70 weeks. And I would just ask you to study that in more detail. We can't go into that, into that today. However, I will tell you this. Uh, we are going to be doing a series coming up before too long on the last days. I did a series a couple of years ago, so we're going to do that again coming up here in a few weeks. My next sermon series, not my next sermon, but my next sermon series is on Noah. We're going to talk about the truth about Noah. The movie is very popular, so we wanted to address that, uh, and so we'll be talking about that in a few weeks to come. It's important for you to notice that this particular story is, recording, is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not all Bible stories that are in Matthew are in the other uh, Gospels or Mark. You know, some of the Gospels recorded things that the other Gospel writers didn't record. But this particular story is in all four of the Gospels uh, recording the fulfillment of that prophecy in Zechariah. This event took place on the Sunday, Palm Sunday, took place on the Sunday before Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus came riding on the donkey, riding in right after Sunday school. It was about 11 o'clock. I'm just kidding right there. I'm just kidding. Uh, this day is referred to as Palm Sunday because of the palm branches that uh, the people laid on the path as Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. This was Jesus' earthly coronation as king. Now, when we think about the coronation of a king, uh, we think about royalty over in Europe. Queen Victoria, Queen Victoria at her coronation was given a crown encrusted with giant rubies and sapphires. Listen to this, ladies. On her crown, all these rubies and sapphires surrounded a diamond that sat right there, 309 carats. So you girls are looking down at your ring going, right now. So, uh, well, I want to tell you, um, nothing like that was done at the earthly coronation of Jesus. There were no formalities when he was crowned king. No jewels, no dignitaries. There were no regal robes or musicians. His coronation, as I was thinking about it, was very, very humble, much like his birth. His birth was in a stable. At his coronation, he came riding in on a donkey. At the birth of Jesus, we find that great event attended by shepherds who in the social terms of that day were the lowest people on the social ladder 
at his coronation, the people who were crying Hosanna to the king were the lowly people. They were the ones who were being rejected by the religious nobility of that day. In spite of the fact that Jesus' coronation was very simple, not only was it simple, but it was superficial, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, how it was superficial. He, he was still God's true king. It doesn't matter that he was on a donkey. It doesn't matter that the lowest of the low on the social ladder were the ones who were giving him attention. He was still God's true king. So when you consider all the coronations that have ever been held in the world's history to honor royalty, no monarch, no royalty, no king or queen even comes close to what Jesus deserved by way of honor. Jesus Christ is one of a kind. Um, there has never been one so supreme as Jesus. There has never been one so magnificent as Jesus, so majestic. There has never been one in all of history so powerful or so sovereign or so worthy or so glorious as our Lord Jesus the Christ. No one even comes Close. You can take all the kings and all the queens who have ever been crowned in all of history, uh, uh, the history of the world, and you can put them all together and uh, they don't even reach the outer fringes of the infinite majesty of our Lord. Even though this crowning was simple, even though this Palm Sunday when they crowned Jesus was very humble and lowly, when you read that story, his great majesty still shines forth brightly for all to see. You see, when everything's over, when it's all over, you understand what I'm saying? When, when this world is over, he will have had two coronations. We haven't seen the second coronation yet. We've only seen this one. But there's coming another coronation of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords that will not be humble, it will be glorious. And I look forward to that day, don't you? When the Lord sets up his rule in Jerusalem and rules the world. If you are reading the book of Luke, you progress through it and you come to Luke chapter 19. It is the last of his life. It is the week before his crucifixion and resurrection. Let's read it together. Luke 19, 28 uh, through 40. This is the NIV I'm using today. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, this is so interesting, go to the village ahead of you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say to them, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owner of that colt did ask them, and I would have too. The owner of that colt asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. 
Well, it doesn't say that there was anything else said. So evidently, either that man was uh, a follower of Jesus or honored Jesus, respected Jesus. Verse 35, they brought it, the donkey, they brought it to Jesus. Before Jesus got on it, they threw their cloaks on the colt, made a saddle for our Lord, and put Jesus on it. Verse 36, and he went along, people spreading their cloaks on the road in front of him. Verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joy, not just his 12 disciples, but all the people who were following him began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Hey, it is okay to do that. You know, you might be visiting our church or you're coming to our church and you're like, I just can't get over, you know, people just shouting, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Um, I mean, they're just doing it right here, you know. And uh, they, they're shouting with a loud voice. And they were shouting because all the miracles he had seen. All the way there, Jesus was doing miracles. So this crowd got bigger and bigger and bigger the closer he got to Jerusalem. Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And you will find this prophesied in the book of Psalms, chapter 118 and verse 26. Those very words were prophesied in the Old Testament. This is one of the things that gives validity to the Bible. When you look at the Old Testament prophecies and see them clearly fulfilled in the New Testament. And in Psalm 118, verse 26, we have the very same words. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd. Oh, can you imagine the Pharisees didn't like it? What? The, the, the church people, the religious people didn't like it. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. I love this. Jesus said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Isn't that good? Jesus is headed for Jerusalem. It is Passover season. Everybody's coming to Jerusalem. He's in a very, very large crowd of pilgrims who are following him. This crowd around him is much larger than the crowd anywhere else. As he proceeds on his way up the mountain to face the unbelievable horrors of death on a cross. He is ready to serve his father. He is ready to be that chosen sacrifice for sin. So he heads to the death for which he came to earth in the first place. Three things about this death. It is a ransoming death. We are being held captive. Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the ransom so that we would be set free. It's a ransoming death. Number two, it's a redeeming death because we were lost. And in order for us to be found, we were dead. In order for us to live, he had to die. So his death, so horrible for him, brought life to us. It was a ransoming death. It was a redeeming death. And then finally, it was a reconciling death. Because see, in the Garden of Eden, we were cut off from God. So we needed to be reconciled with God. 
It's really cool that in the book of Genesis chapter 3, as soon as man sins, the Bible says that God from heaven spoke and said, I will send one whose heel will crush the head of the serpent. This is that work of God. We see it happening now. We see that Genesis word from God being fulfilled right here. He comes into Jerusalem that day as the sinless one. Listen to me now. He has come to take on the wrath of God for sin. Not his, but ours. He is coming into Jerusalem to bear the sinner's punishment. Ours. And to open the way for forgiveness. So on his way to Jerusalem, the crowd around Jesus is big and getting bigger. Up to Zion, he comes in the midst of the mass of people who are hopeful. See, their whole mindset was wrong about this. I mean, you know, it's beautiful that they're shouting Hosanna to the king, but it wasn't because of him that they were worshiping him. It was because of what he could do for them. Y'all with me? That they worshipped him. You see, they were hopeful. They wanted him to display his messianic power. You say you're Messiah, then it's time to show it, they thought. They are hoping that he is coming to bring the glory of the kingdom. Now, next time he comes, he will. But this time was not the time. But they thought it was. And so that's why they were shouting Hosanna to the king because these same people will in just a few days shout crucify him when they find out he is not going to do that. And so they want him to bring the glory of the kingdom. They know that it was promised to them in the Old Testament. They want to be freed from the tyranny of Rome. So you see, listen now, this is important. Their worship of Jesus was about what it could do for them. And the minute they found out that he wasn't going to do everything for them they wanted him to do, they turned on him. I see that today. I see it today. I see people whose marriages are falling apart. And they come to us and we say, the first thing you need to do, the first thing your spouse needs to do is you need to come to Jesus. So they do. It appears they turn toward Jesus to make their marriage well, and then when they find out that it isn't going to work, often you see those same people who talked about how awesome God was because he was going to save everything because one of the spouses wouldn't cooperate or didn't work out. All of a sudden, you just see them leave the church. You see, listen, are you, are you getting this? Their appreciation for Jesus was what it could do for them. And when it didn't work out, then their appreciation for Jesus went down the drain. I see it happen all the time. Praying for a sick person to be healed. Praying for an addicted person to break that addiction. And it doesn't happen. The healing doesn't come. And then there, our worship of Jesus, our praise of Jesus turns to anger toward God. That's shallow and self-centered and that's what's happening right here. They wanted all of this, but the truth is he wasn't headed to a throne. He was headed to a cross. He had told his disciples, he had already told them exactly what was happening and what it meant, but it did not compute. You ever told your kids something and you could tell it wasn't computing? 
It didn't register with them. He has come to die and then to rise from the dead. He is coming into Jerusalem on the back of this donkey to conquer sin and death. He is not coming to set up his kingdom yet. Then after he dies and after he rises from the dead, 40 days later, he's going to ascend into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, he's going to leave the gates wide open for you and I to follow him there. Because of Jesus, we all have the opportunity to embrace him as Savior. You have an opportunity today to embrace him as Savior. He has opened the doors of heaven wide open. When he ascended into heaven, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, it was for you. And when he ascended into heaven, he left the doors wide open. Now, by faith in him, you can embrace him, and then one day you will share in that kingdom that he's going to bring the next time he comes. But this time he came to die. Next time he will come to reign. What a great promise. What a great word for us. I think it's interesting That up until this day, up until this day of the Palm Sunday, Jesus never allowed a massive display of celebration toward him. Never allowed it. You know, once in a while the crowd would break out and they would want to celebrate his glory as the Son of God. And he always stopped it. He always stopped it. The only time he ever allowed it was this day. Matter of fact, that's what upset the Pharisees. You need to rebuke your disciples. So why does he allow it on this day? Here's why. It's God's time. It wasn't God's time before. It wasn't God's time to do all that yet. But today is the day, and today is God's time. You have to understand the timing of God. God has chosen to inflame the enemies of Jesus at this particular time, on this particular day, because he wants to set things in motion at a moment when more people than ever will see it. You see, it's Passover. The place is packed. Some writers believe there were two million people there that day. Some watching for his destruction, some watching for his ultimate coronation, the Israeli Leaders, religious leaders can't wait any longer. He has to be eliminated. But you see, Jesus has set in his heart to die by his father's plan. I mean, you all know that Satan tried to kill Jesus several times uh, throughout the life of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was a baby, he tried to kill him. Uh, He tried to ruin God's plan throughout the life of Jesus. But Jesus knows the plan of his father. And so he knows I will die on Friday. Listen to this now. Because Friday is Passover. And Passover is that day when all the thousands, millions of Passover lambs possibly will be slain. And and he is the one true sacrifice. They're going to see all these lambs slain for sin. And then they're going to see me die on the cross. And they're going to, it's going to go down in history as me being that true sacrifice for sin pictured in all the other offerings that will be offered today and that have ever been offered in the past. His timing, the timing of God. And some of you are waiting on God right now and you don't understand why and he doesn't and why this doesn't. Listen to me. God's timing is always perfect. 
And God's timing is always divine. Jesus knows what he's doing and when to do it. He knows the exact time on God's calendar and God's clock. I love, I love um, you know, uh, the last book in the, Bi- in the Old Testament is um, the book of Malachi. And from the book of Malachi all the way to the book of Matthew is like 400 years in there of silence. You think that would have been hard to wait for that? to hear from God. And then the Bible says this about the birth of Jesus. It says, in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time. That means at the perfect time. At the right time. I know some of you are frustrated. I know some of you are bothered by God not moving and God not speaking and God not, but I'm telling you, he does all things well. And when heaven is silent, that is when you stay on your face and trust him in the darkness. And trust him when there is no word and trust him when there is no light and trust him when you can't see him or hear him. You walk in your faith in him. Listen, I love those moments when I'm able to walk in in, in my, my connection with God, I can see him spiritually. I can feel him spiritually. I can hear him spiritually. And i got to tell you, I've experienced that in the last couple of weeks in a magnificent way. And I thank God for that. And he knows when to show up that way. But sometimes I, I can't see him. And sometimes I can't hear him. And sometimes I can't feel him. So on those days, I just have to trust what he said, that I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I have to believe what he said. But as he goes, he goes facing the greatest horror of his life. This is the greatest horror of the life of Jesus, the death of the cross. You know, over in Hebrews, when it describes the death of Jesus, it says the death even, what does it say? Even the death of the cross because The writer in Hebrews just says it that way because it was such a horrible, horrible, horrible way to die. And Jesus knows this is coming, but it isn't the physical aspect of the crucifixion and the crown of thorns and the lashes on his back and the piercing of his side and the nails in his hands and feet. It isn't the suffering of all that that is so devastating, but it is that idea that the Father is going to turn his back so that I can give my life. He's going to be separated from God, it was in the garden. Jesus understood this and expressed it so transparently when he said, Father, if there's any other way. Do y'all remember that? If there's any other way, I mean, boy, that was the humanity of Jesus coming out right there. The, 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 the physical man part of Jesus saying, if there's any other way, everybody say it with me. Let this cup pass from me. You see, the Jews weren't even thinking about all that. They were thinking this could be the moment he brings the kingdom. It's all about them, baby. They got kinfolk living today around Princeton. (laughs) None of them are here this morning. Amen. They come to the second service. Stay with me. 
The Jews were thinking this could be the moment he brings the kingdom. I mean, this is when he's going to come and conquer these blasted Romans. This is when he's going to come and fulfill the promises of Abraham to us. I mean, Abraham made promises. David made promises. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant made promises to us. This could be the moment that Israel is raised to its greatest glory. I mean, this is going to be the day, we believe it, that we become the jewel of the earth. As the Jewish people, this is the moment when all that the prophets have told us about the future is going to happen today. This is our glorious moment. The king has finally come to reign. That is the mindset of those who were around Jesus that day. But inside of Jesus, he had come to die. This is the end of the journey of his life from Bethlehem to now. Here comes Jesus to face the greatest challenge of his life and to do the greatest work of salvation. And the people, all they can think about is how he's come to bring them glory. But you see, there couldn't be any glory until there was a cross. And there couldn't be any kingdom on this earth until there was a sacrifice for sin. The story of the triumphal entry of Jesus is one of many contrasts. And it is in those contrasts that we find application for ourselves as believers. Listen to this. It is the story of a king. King of all kings. The king's king who came as a lowly servant on a donkey, not a prancing steed, not in royal robes, but in the clothes of the poor he came. And in the clothes of the humble, Jesus came not to conquer by force as earthly kings. This is what those Jews wanted, take it by force. But in this, in this moment, he has come to conquer by love. He has come to take over through grace and mercy and by giving his own life a sacrifice for his people. You see, his, at this moment in history, was not a kingdom of armies and splendor, but of lowliness and servanthood. He had not come to conquer nations. He had come this first time to conquer hearts. And minds of men and women and boys and girls. And that would make him, nothing would make him any happier this morning than if he could conquer your heart. And he could conquer your mind and become the king of your life. His message is one of eternal peace with God. Eternal peace, not temporary. You know, we celebrate victory in battles, but did it last? No. It didn't last. I mean, we look back and we honor our veterans and we honor how they have fought battles and they've set, and we're glad they did. And it has allowed a foundation to be established that causes us to thrive to this day. And we're very, very thankful for that. Don't misunderstand me. But here we are at the precipice of war again. Because the peace man brings doesn't last. I'm telling you that the peace Jesus brought this day, the beginning of the end of Satan's bondage, Still on the series, duped. This is the beginning of the end for Satan. 
Jesus comes to bring not temporary peace, but eternal peace. Eternal peace. So the question today is this. Have you allowed him, have you allowed Jesus to make a triumphal entry into your heart? Have you allowed Jesus to come into your heart? Because see, there's a throne inside of you. And you can put money on that throne. And you can put lust on that throne. And you can put yourself on that throne. But it doesn't belong to those things. The throne in your heart belongs to him. And what he wants you to do today is invite him to triumphantly come into your heart and take his rightful place on the throne of your heart. Become your Lord and Savior. We who are his followers, when he comes into us, we live, we live out those same qualities. And then the world will see him in us and they will understand that in us reigns a true king a living king. Let me close with this scripture. You're not going to find it in your notes and it's not going to come up on the screen. That's kind of scary, isn't it? Listen to this. Listen to this. This is in the message. These are the words of Jesus. When we think about duped, we've been talking about how Satan dupes us. But today we're talking about Satan getting duped. Now he's going to fall into a trap he doesn't understand. Look what Jesus says about his own life. Jesus is talking here about his own life. I love this. John 12, 27, the message. He says, right now, I am storm-tossed. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? Anybody relate to that? <laughs> right now, I'm storm-tossed right now. He says, and what I'm going to say, Father, what, and what am I going to say? What am I going to say in my prayer life? What am I going to say to my God? I'm storm-tossed. I'm in the storm. What am I going to say to my Father? Am I going to say to him, Father, get me out of this? He said, no. So he knew the cross was coming. He knew the torture was coming. He knew ever, all of this was coming. He said, so what am I going to say? Father, get me out of this? No, no, I won't say to the Father, get me out of this. This is why I came in the first place. He said, I will say, Father, put your glory on display. I love that. Put your glory on display. Don't, don't rescue me. Let your plan go and put yourself on display. And I had never noticed this before. I mean, I am a Bible scholar. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Of course, he's on duty today. But anyway, <laughs> that's his job. Y'all wonder what that guy's job is? It's to say amen when nobody else says anything. Thank you. I've studied the Bible. I went to Bible college when I was 19 years old, 18, something like that. Been studying. I never, I just never noticed this. When Jesus said that, God spoke audibly from heaven. And he said, 
it says, a voice came out of the sky. When Jesus said, here's what I'll say, Father, put your glory on display. If that means me suffering, if that means me dying, if that means me uh, uh, um, uh, uh, being tortured for the sins of all mankind, past, present, and future, then put your glory on display. Whatever it takes for your glory to be on display, let it be. And a voice came out of the sky. God the Father said, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. Boom. And in verse 29, the listening crowd was much like people are today. So funny. This is just funny to me. Do y'all see funny stuff in the Bible? Because right here they go, thunder. I think I heard some thunder. God is speaking all around us. But see, we're so far from him. We're so unplugged from him that when God does speak, we miss it. Must be coming up a storm here. I hope he's about done preaching. That was drama. We have a drama ministry here. That was drama. Others got it a little better. The Bible says others said, I think an angel just might have said something to him right there. I think that was. And look at what Jesus says. Jesus said, the voice, the thunder, what you thought was an angel, that didn't come from me but for you. At this moment, Jesus said, the world is in crisis. But as of now, Satan, the ruler of this world, because of what I'm about to do on the cross and come forth from the grave, he will be thrown out. He has been the ruler of the world, but because of what I am about to do, he will be thrown out as the ruler of the world. And I, as I am lifted up from the earth. You, ever, you remember that scripture Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into me? And we've often misinterpreted that and we've pulled it out of context and used it for worship and said, you know, when we lift up Jesus in worship, he draws people to him. You know what? I think that's true, but I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying when they nail me to that cross and they get behind it and pick it up and raise it up and drop it in that hole, when they raise me up on that cross, he said, they think they have defeated me. He said, but what's going to happen is people will be drawn to that. And through the ages to come, they will receive me as their Lord and Savior. He said, they will be attracted. I will attract everyone to me and gather them around me. He's speaking primarily of the Jews, but thank God, Gentiles were included in that. Are you, are you Gentiles out there happy about that? Amen. He put it this way to show how he was going to be put to death. The Bible says right there at the end of that. 